mission. You see, we want to Simone Utecht. That's Simone Utecht. Not sure if I'm uh, pronouncing that correctly, but Simone, in any case, I'm calling you out. Remember, this means we're meeting at the K&K to fight. So in anticipation of this exciting upcoming event, go give Ms. Simone Utecht a follow on the Twitters. That's uh, Simone, S-I-M-O-N-E, U-T-E-C-H-T, all one word on Twitter, and I'm going to switch things up just a smidge here and read her bio and ask y'all sheetheads to do me a little itty-bitty favor afterward. Her bio reads, mother of two trying to live with cancer, cash app, dollar sign, Simone Henry Utecht, GoFundMe page is Simone's Multiple Myeloma Fund. Now... Sheetheads, I know we're a relatively small crew here, but if we focus real hard, just focus all that soul energy, maybe make a um, spirit bomb, I think we might be able to help her out just a little bit. Now, I'm severely underemployed at the moment, but I have this show, and some people seem to jiggle with it. So uh, maybe I can point y'all toward Miss Utech's GoFundMe page. It is, of course, linked in the description at the web address, uh, GoFund.me slash 08FF8080, and I'm going to link it at www.hoss.fun. So please go to Simone's Multiple Myeloma Fund on GoFundMe, and of course that's linked in the description, and drop her whatever you can spare the uh, dystopian nightmare of having cancer in America in 2021. Really, really sucks, and maybe we can make it suck just a little tiny bit less uh, for Miss Utecht, uh, and uh, she's just also a great Twitter follow. You know, she's a she's one of my uh, homies on the Twitter. Um, she also has a son on the autism spectrum, which is a beautiful thing, but also surely a, a can be a, a strain on energy and resources. I've worked with, uh, you know, my share of uh, autistic people on the Aspergers and uh, autistic spectrum uh, over the years as an educator, and uh, that is just a wonderful you know, I should have like somebody an expert on that uh, special ed teacher or somebody maybe come and uh, talk about that stuff there's a lot of uh, misunderstandings out there about it and I'm no expert on it but uh, so I won't speak too much to it I just know that it can be you know a strain a drain on energy and resources um, and uh, but you know Godspeed to you Simone uh, please go show her some love by um, giving throwing her a buck or five or whatever you can spare on GoFundMe and um you know, wish you all the best as you deal with this, you know, the challenges in your life. Uh, it might just feel good to know that some people are trying to have your back and can feel like this society that we live in is uh, very selfish and I think it in many ways very much is. And, uh, you know, these we should be having these uh, comp corporations and billionaires who are making like insane amounts of profits, you know, uh, at least funding a healthcare system and like, you know, basic necessities of life for the citizenry here. But, you know, that's uh, not happening. So we, regular working people, have to band together and support each other. And uh, maybe that will uh, culminate in us actually forming a political movement that will, you know, 
make life easier and better for everyone. Okay, so uh, real quick, next week's episode is a big one. I recorded the interview last night, and it was just a an incredible delight. He's a man I know who is called Mr. Matt Bender, uh, Bender with an I, spelled like binder, uh, whom you might recognize from filling in for the great Sam Cedar weekly on the Majority Report. It's like one of the biggest lefty progressive shows there is out there. Um, he is also a frequent guest on Shit Posts with uh, Jared Holt. That's another great podcast. Focuses a lot on like far right weirdos. Uh, both Jared Holt and uh, Mr. Um, Matt Bender do that. And Mr. Holt, uh, I believe he was with uh, Right Wing Watch until somewhat recently. Um, now he's writing for, I can't remember who, but somebody that's like, you know, he's uh, moving on up in his investigative journalism world. Um, and maybe I should have him on sometime. I'll see if I can make that happen. But yeah, Matt Bender was uh, awesome. Um, I really much, very much appreciate him lowering himself to come on this little bitty show. Uh, we are growing though, which is great. Uh, so yeah, get pumped for that next exciting episode of Breadsheet. Okay, now let's jump right into today's uh, incredible episode of Breadsheet. My guest is the lovely and talented Ms. Lynette S. Hogue, an attorney and author, both of fiction and nonfiction. She's a delight and gives uh, some brain thoughts on pursuing your creative passions and uh, representation and, you know, her as uh, just get all kinds of fun stuff and uh, all the squishy artsy things we talk about on here and some some politics touching on some social issues and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, the stuff we talk about is this show here. We talk about things and uh, that is, um, yeah, the work of Ms. Lynette Hogue is going to be linked in the description of this episode in which we talk about her work uh, in this show. Breadsheet with me, Hoss Bossman, which is a fake internet name. Spotlighting Ms. Hogue's short story, Till Death, which was published in the collection Slay, Stories of the Vampire Noir. Uh, last episode, I accidentally called it Stories of the Black Noir, which I guess happened because the podcast that picked up that story and did an amazing dramatic reading of it is called Black Women Are Scary, which, as you might imagine, is a um, podcast about uh, 
horror stories written by women of color. They do like dramatic readings. And uh, Black Noir is the name of the quiet Batman parody dude from The Boys, a decent television show. Also, I'm going to link to Ms. Hogue's Business Insider editorial. She published a couple years ago. And you can follow Ms. Hogue on Twitter at LeftBrainMom1. That's numeral one, not the word one. Y'all can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch at Haas underscore Bossman. Also, my username or page or whatever on Patreon is that, Haas underscore Bossman. Uh, I also have a YouTube channel at bit.ly slash HaasTube with all kinds of music and video essays and whatnot. And you can find all that stuff at www.haas.fun. Once again, please support Ms. Hoag's writing and Ms. Simone Utecht's uh, GoFundMe with whatever you can comfortably spare. Uh, with whatever you can comfortably spare. All linked in the description of this episode or at www.hoss.fun. I'll try to link that as close to the top of the page as I can. Um, and uh, now, uh, as you are all anticipating, sizzling, sizzling and reeling with anticipation, shooting little... Uh, droplets of grease into the air and starting little grease fires uh, on my brain. Uh. Also, make sure you stick around to the very, very end of this episode to hear a very, very special song we're going to ride out on today. It's called Perpetual Moments and is by the talented musical artist Jake Hicks. You can find that song and much more of his music on Spotify and also go to his Instagram. His band is Jake Hicks and The Journeyman and they are really great. Here is Ms. Lynette Hoag's theme song which I did a little something different uh, with this time around because um, she, you know, doesn't have, uh, she didn't have like a mic set up. She didn't have like a super clear signal. She she sounds great and fine. And I, you know, I EQ'd uh, her recording a little bit on this, but like for the song, since I put it through auto tune and stuff, I thought that uh, it might be more fun to use uh, the voice actor, the recording uh, from that podcast, Black Women Are Scary, of her story. So instead of clips of her in this, you'll hear it. And uh, yeah, so here's Ms. Lynette Hoag's song. I'm going to call it uh, Till Death Do Us Party. I don't know if that works, but here we go. Till death, till death, till death, till death. <laughs> Authorship Why are you sad your, um, your real name, I know, is it Lynette. How do you pronounce your last it name? It is Lynette. You're exactly right. It's very okay. simple. Yes. And, and your last name? Hogue. 
Just Hogue. Okay. Yep. I think um, I listened to the uh, Black Women Are Scary podcast, and I think like one of the times the host said your name, she seemed to just barely kind of do like a Hoag, like yes, <laughs> add a syllable to it or something. So yeah, there's a there were two hosts for that podcast, and I can't remember. I think it's Waimoto that called me and asked me how to pronounce it, but then the voice actor didn't call me you know what i mean so that's oh. why you got the mix up but what are you gonna do that uh voice actor was very good by the way did you, did you think uh yeah. she did I your story justice fabulous i thought she i mean you know how when you write a story you have an idea in your mind of who your characters are mm -hmm. and then when you hear somebody become that character it's like right i guess she could have that demeanor and that you know <laughs> that tone of voice i thought it was fun and That's I thought so you captured what I was going for. Um, so I, I wanted to, that's mainly why I wanted to have you on Breadsheet was to, you know, your, um, did we get connected via like, do you listen to Daily Zeitgeist? Is that how we I do? I think we're Zeitgang, both yes. of us. <laughs> Zeitgang. And yeah. then we also follow at Chris Crofton or at Crofton Show mm -hmm. for, uh, for the poetry. Yes. Uh, one of and so between favorites. those two. Oh my God, I love it. Did you um did you ever get a chance to listen to his episode of this podcast? Absolutely. It was a two-parter, I think, right? Yeah. It was fabulous. He I love is, it. He is wonderful. Just like so he's so hilarious, but also like just I don't know. He has a genuineness to him that is just so yep. refreshing. It's the genuineness and just and just the way that he can just be extemporaneous. Let me say that word. The way he can be extemporaneous and just like capture like the moment. I had uh, one of the poems he wrote for me was uh, Jack Kerouac, who you know it's like the sort of fantasy of a writer out there, you know, drinking and smoking and you know typing away on his computer. And I gave him the the tagline was Jack Kerouac, and he like my favorite poem that he's written, and I've read like almost all of them is. Because sometimes alcoholics think they're exploding stars. <laughs> that is great for just Jack. That's the heart of it. Yeah, that's I used to love those. I mean, still do like the, uh, you know, the beat poets and those, you know, when I was in, uh, I remember my my girlfriend, we've been dating for like six or seven years now. And um, a few years ago, her uh, parents were living out in um, like Oakland, California for a couple of years. And we went out to visit them. And I actually got to go to San Francisco for like an afternoon and go and like t get my picture taken on like Haight-Ashbury and stuff. And I thought that was like really, really awesome. Did you go to that bookstore there? It's the names that's getting me right now is the one where Kerouac had the head of beat poets. It closed because of COVID. Oh no. Yeah. No, I, we were so tight on time. It was like, you know, we, we went to Oakland and we, you know, did some stuff with their family. And then it was the thing where we were only there for like five or six days. And on like day five, I was like, Hey, um, I uh, have never been to San Francisco and it's kind of like a, a dream of mine to go. Can we like drive your car into the city for the afternoon? So like we were on a really tight timeline. So basically just went there, walked through the park, walked through the city and had to like turn around and come right back. So I didn't get to do much, but yeah. it's just that city has like such a cool feel to it um it's it's very unique i went there not to tell too much but you know what are you gonna say i went there for my 50th birthday with my husband and uh 
it was like hands down one of the absolute best experiences I've ever had. And I'm just remembering the sister bookstore was Shakespeare and Company, but I can't remember the name of the one in uh, San Francisco that went out of business that had all the beat poets. There's got to be so many little places like that, just with so much history to them in that town, such an artistic and like just culturally rich city. Right. A parade broke out on the street while my husband and I were there. This is just March. So it's nothing particular, you know, and then all of a sudden people are in the street and somebody was naked. And I'm like, I guess this is just San Francisco. Just, you know, naked people in the street. Fine with me. Yeah, they're very free out there. Oh, yeah. And um, boy, let me tell you, when I went to that, I'm glad, I wish I remember the name of the stupid store. Uh, we bought the Kerouac poster. And mm-hmm. um, uh, now I can't remember his buddy's name. This is terrible. Like, I'm just fully aphasic today. But uh, the uh, hilarious thing is, like, it doesn't matter what you've read. There's always so much more to read. You know, I've got a stack of books on my uh, bed, you know, my bed beside my bed and the bed table. And I've got I've read so many, but still haven't got anywhere. And uh, uh, it took me forever to even get, I mean, I read Kerouac, but then I've got so many other people I should be reading and maybe I shouldn't have read that, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've got, you know, you see my bookshelf in the background here. I, yes. I was, I was an English major in college and so no way. read quite a few books and oh, actually, you know what? I just you did this... it. You did the thing. I didn't have the balls to do with <laughs> what? being an English major. I what, failed what did you from major it. in? Oh, philosophy. Oh, well, that's that's I, that was definitely one I was considering when I went into college. Oh, gigantic waste of time. Just being an English major. <laughs> um, well, you know, no one's reading Plato. <laughs> I you know, I, I was actually in a Ph.D. program for one semester oh for um, rhetoric. And so, you know, that was kind of a, a little bit of a marriage between the philosophy and English departments. What you doing? I was. When I was in no, college, okay. <laughs> remember Matt Grading, the guy that did The Simpsons? Hey, hi, the other lawyer. Hi, counsel. <laughs> she says hi, counsel. Hello. Um. <laughs> when I was in uh, when I was in college, Matt Grading was just The Simpsons was just starting to run. That's how old I am. And Matt Grading came as a live human being and signed books in the bookstore. And uh, I can't remember. I, he, I have an autographed copy of a book somewhere in my mom's basement. I haven't chased it down. It's been, you know, years. But uh, my favorite Matt Groening cartoon was the one about the graduate student, meet the graduate school dropout. And the, you know, the caption is meet the bitterest person in the world, the graduate school dropout. I mean, that would be, I don't think I'm, I'm too bitter about that, but well, you know, I, I went to grad school for like education and, um, then I taught for a year, then went back and was like, oh, I'm going to get my PhD. And after one semester, I realized like, uh, I think I'd rather just teach high school and I don't want to spend another seven years <laughs> or whatever in college and all the money that's going to cost and everything. And right. it's like, I don't have, you know, I always kind of thought being a college professor seems like a very cool lifestyle, but basically if you want to be a college professor, it's like, it's more competitive. You make, you know, roughly dirt. the same amount of money. It's just much harder it, to get dirt. a job. It's so true. There's like that whole, uh, it's like the fantasy of anything is so much more exciting than the reality of it. Right. So sure. like I had this, like my fantasy. So, so the story is I wanted to be an English major and a writer like years ago. 
when I was in college and I was an English major for like two years and I loved it so much. And all I could think was, how am I going to feed myself? How am I going to get paid? This is never going to happen with writing. Right. And, uh, so then I became a philosophy major. I should have just stayed an English major, but I became a philosophy major and went to law school, which is great because you actually pay for your life, but you're going to owe for your life as well because of all the loans from law school, right? The same time you can still get paid. So my husband, who's a sweetheart, last year when I wrote that the uh, the story till death that you heard in the Black Women Are Scary podcast, for a year my husband was like, "You can write. I'll let you pursue it. You know, I'll hold down the finances." And I discovered that just as it was when I was in college and decided to not be a writer, there was still literally almost no money. In writing, you know, like 25 years later, you know what I mean? So yeah. nothing is different. It's all the same, except it's still, you know, so much fun to actually express yourself that way and, you know, not have to read legal briefs. Is there something more boring? I don't think so. Well, it's cool that you, you know, got it uh, published. And I mean, I, you know, I always wanted to be, I'm, I'm an artistic type, you know, I've been a yes. musician my whole life and I, uh, I always wanted to be a writer too. And, um, you know, I, well, I you know, the news is you can be, there's just no money in it. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, all you have to do to be a writer is write. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> I got to say though, the improvement is like now I don't have to have a team of researchers or I don't have to go to the library. Like pretty much everything is on Google. Yeah. And I mean, when I started this podcast, you know, I kind of started it as like an extension of, I used to be an entertainment writer. So I was like, I'll just kind of do these interviews. Like I used to do features. And then I started like realizing, oh, I can like write the intros to these. And it's basically like, I'm just writing an editorial and that's like a lot more casual, you know, and just like reading that. And it's a lot of fun. And, you know, I can improv some, you know, ad lib stuff and, uh, then also realized like with um, nowadays, if you want to be an independent writer and you can like, you know, make simple YouTube video essays, like that's kind of the way to get your stuff out there now, especially like nonfiction video essay stuff is like, you know, um, uh, if you can just like sort of animate it and, you know, put some stock footage up or whatever on YouTube, like I've had some, some decent luck with my YouTube channel. Um, you know, mostly things like when I'll have an idea, you know, during this uh, last election down, you know, we're down in Georgia and right. um, I was, you know, we were just inundated with ads and I just got so for your you know, channel, your YouTube channel. Um, no, for, uh, when, as we were watching mostly, you know, we watch a lot of YouTube, probably like 80% of the media I consume is via YouTube. Um, and, we were, but the ads we were seeing on YouTube were like all, you know, tor targeted to targeted to our region. Um, yeah. And that's, and we, uh, during the election, it was all like a lot of, uh, anti Raphael Warnock and uh, John Ossoff ads. Right. Um, cause we had that special election going on. You and, guys you know, were like the hot spot, like <laughs> the only state in the union when it came to the, the election actually. Yeah, it was um, nobody else existed. It, it was a rare thing. Georgia doesn't get attention like that most of the time. Um, but, I would uh, agree. We uh, except isn't that isn't that where the devil is? <laughs> right. Yeah. There's the one song and yeah, um, right. that one guy, that one song. We've got some cool stuff. I mean, I actually I, I've been keeping it kind of 
uh, uh, low key where I'm living now. Um, but, uh, I, we just moved to a new city a couple months ago and down in South Georgia and it's, uh, the city where Ray Charles is from. So no way. if uh, anybody, you know, wants to dox me, I guess you can figure it out. I'm actually in like a, uh, I live and I live like uh, west of the city of Chicago, where like our claim to fame is we're a Hemingway hotspot, right? Ooh. Apparently, he was born here. He definitely went to high school here. And uh, there's a new documentary out about him. I'm not sure if I'm gonna watch it. Uh, I mean, I had this whole thing where I always feel like bad a little bit about sort of being obsessed about like nothing but you know Kerouac and Hemingway and white male writers, even though a clearly black female over here, but. I mean, I got to say, you know, the people who are in the academy are the people in the academy. What can you do? You know what I mean? And it doesn't mean that it wasn't fascinating reading the Hemingway books that I that I did read. But I just wanted to say for a little bit of background for anyone who happens to be listening to this, mm -hmm. that my story is called Till Death. And it's in uh, a, um, a mag a, 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 an anthology called Slay. And it's published by Mocha Memoirs Press. And they're out of North Carolina. So I found that by uh, looking at the, there's a, a newsletter called Freedom with Writing, and it just, it's a compilation of all the different calls or pitches, editors looking for pitches. And I found the call for pitch in the Freedom with Writing. So that's kind of where all that came from. I didn't know that there was uh, that connection actually, but um, you know, that was uh, the, the reason I brought up our uh, region yeah. here. And then, and then we'll uh, go into actually talking about like what I wanted to bring you on for today um, was uh, I was seeing so many of these uh, campaign ads that I was just like fed up with them and realized like, oh, I can just like write and, you know, I'm just screaming into the void on social media. But if, right. I, if I make a like YouTube video, um, I can uh, actually like uh, debunk some of these claims that they're making in these ads. And I had like this 20 minute video that was basically just a sort of casual op-ed me running th through like one 30 second ad that just had so many lies in it. And it was basically about <laughs> like how Raphael Warnock is a radical Marxist was the whole right. thing. And, you know, it's all like very thinly veiled. Obviously, so much of it is like trying to paint the black preacher as this radical, like political, you know, extreme. Malcolm X. Thing. Yeah. There's, you know, obviously in America, especially and probably lots of other places in the world, there is a bias, a, um, a horrible stereotype about black men specifically being like dangerous. And I, it was really, made oh, me really so sad. True. They're, they're all like, they're all wolves in sheep's clothing, no matter what. And yeah. I got to say this just as like an aside of, of what I'm watching uh, as obviously the child of a black man. And, you know, my brothers are black men and my child was like, oh, my God, they're all like men. But the thing is, is I'm watching this now that TV has a, turned a, to be like aggressively gay black man, which is fine, except like he's the just watch commercials. You know how you're watching the Raphael Warnock and the Ossoff commercials. Just watch how commercials are now like way into the aggressively gay black man, which is fine if you're an aggressively gay black man. But you know what I'm saying? Like he's the antidote to, you know, Raphael Warnock, who's like, 
you know, the evil Malcolm X who's going to, you know, slaughter you in your sleep. Or who's the other guy? Louis Farrakhan, who's now like a toothless old man. You know what I mean? Like that whole, like, let's just, you know, now let's have this guy over here who's harmless versus the real black man who's you now coming for your children or whatever. Sure. Yeah. And that was in all those Raphael Warnock ads. He like he's wearing these like, you know, Christmas sweaters and he's playing with puppies. <laughs> and it's like I can so tell it makes me sad. And but, you know, it's just like, oh, you mean his own ads? Yeah, no, in his own ads, it's like I can tell there it's like you guys might be overdoing it a little bit with the whole like, trying to show him as non-threatening, but it made me kind of sad to like see like, you know, that's, that's what very sad. They feel like they have to do, but um, well, you know, he won, so that's so that, uh, yay. Georgia yeah. did it. <laughs> very happy about that. Um, but uh so I thought it would be interesting to, um, you know, as you brought up, you've gotten, was this, this story that was read on the podcast, um, till death the Black Women Are scary podcast. Yes. Uh, yes. Um, was this like, um, have you been publishing short stories like this for a while? Or I know you mentioned you, you were kind of like getting more into it. Um, was this like a first thing you got published or do you have some other stuff out there? Well, it's, in the zone. So what happens is in this uh, in this year that my husband gave me the freedom to not be a lawyer and to just be a writer, I joined a, a writing group before COVID. It was called Just Write Chicago. They still exist, but obviously we can't meet in person anymore, right? Mm-hmm. So somewhere around the, I think December of 2018, I joined Just Write Chicago and it's just a writing group. You meet once a week you write together. And over time, I kind of got to know everyone there. And, um, and then I started, I just, uh, I wrote a novel that's a gigantic thing. Don't do it. It's like an albatross. And the first thing I did was write a novel, which is a mistake. And then I, which it doesn't mean don't do it. It means maybe don't start with a novel, but anyway, I did. So after that, I was like, well, no one's going to publish this because it's my first one. And it's not particularly interesting. It's a romance novel. And if you've ever read anything about any romance, it's kind of hard to get traction because I mean, there's just so much of it. Mm. I mean, the Hallmark Channel is all romance. You know what I mean? It's just out there. So sure. mine is not particularly interesting or dynamic beyond any other romance novel. Do you know what I mean? Except it's got emojis in it. So <laughs> I decided after spending this time writing the romance novels, I wanted to get published. And that was my goal. So chasing publication, I started reading that uh, email I told you about the uh, freedom with writing and looking for calls for publication to see if I could write something to get published. So of course I wrote things that didn't get picked up at all. And then I made a pitch to, I believe, uh, the now defunct Powder Ski Magazine for a creative nonfiction story called I Learned to Downhill Ski at 50. I'm a Black woman that learned how to downhill ski at 50. <laughs> and I wrote it for my son, who at the time was 10. He's also Black, obviously, and he's extremely energetic. And we needed something to do with him in the winter, you know? So my husband skied, so I learned to ski. So they picked up my, I'm a Black woman that learned to downhill ski at 50. And then I wrote another story called The Polychromatic Sky, which is also creative um, nonfiction, just, you know, basically a true story. And then I start, I made some pitches for, for fiction, but they didn't quite get picked up. So I had this, I love Lupita Nyong'o. I think she's amazing. She's gorgeous. She's beautiful. She's oh, perfect yeah. in every way. And I loved her, 
And I was like, I'm just kind of annoyed that Hollywood's not using her at all to her fullest potential. So in my mind, I had an idea of a character for her where she'd be some sort of assassin, but, you know, they're not very likable people as <laughs> assassins, you know, as general, in general. So I, uh, I, uh, I also like that noir, old fashioned, you know, Raymond Chandler and uh-huh. you know, the, he's got the Dane that has legs that are up to here. And, yeah. <laughs> and so, so anyway, so, uh, bizarrely when I was reading this, all these, you know, calls for pitches, I see this, uh, slay stories of the vampire noir. I'm like, no way. So <laughs> I have a character already. Amandi. I love vampires. I was working on sort of a noir story that wasn't going anywhere. So I put it all together and the editor, uh, Nicole Gibbons, when she accepted my story, she's like, oh my God, I love this. It's just like an old school noir detective. So that all married together. And then I got uh, that fiction story published. And that was actually my first published fiction. I've got like two or three more since then, but that was the, uh, the first one actually. Yes. So now I'm back working because a president, number 45, destroyed the economy. Have you noticed? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I saw something about this. <laughs> the worst person in the entire planet became president for four years. And yeah, oh, some bad Nothing but offices and buildings for lease and for sale on my way into the city every single day. Uh, businesses going out, just going out of business, just everywhere. So I have to go back to practicing law. So I'm not writing as much as I was. Hopefully this will all write itself. No pun intended. And I can, you know, just pump out some more fiction. Yeah, no, I, I, your story is fantastic. And, uh, I, that makes total sense that you were into the Raymond Chandler stuff and it's, it's a very like fun spin on that genre, kind of like melding it with this, like, you know, sort of, uh, romance vampire, all that <laughs> stuff, kind of like rolling all that together was just like very cool. And, and the guy is the femme fatale. Like I thought that yeah. was kind of a, a fun, like twist. It's like, he's the helpless one, you know, can't do anything. Can't help himself. So yeah, you, like you turn all those tropes around in a way that is just like really fun. And also like, I don't know, you're just, you're a fantastic writer. And I, I have a, um, you know, Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that coming from an English major. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm yeah, that should be high praise for me in theory anyway. Um, but, uh, yeah. And, um, I I don't know. I just thought that, uh, it was a really cool story and it's awesome whenever like people can, you know, pursue their creative stuff in, in addition to, or alongside like their, you know, career or whatever. Um, so how long have you been writing like fictional stories, this, I'm going to say, I've been writing fiction for three full years. Okay. And uh, and just this year, now that I've been mostly practicing, I've got, uh, oh my God, there's a little bit of news. I'm in a secret uh, critique group with a well-known writer. And she mm-hmm. says it's a secret, but I'm not sure if I can tell anybody. I don't think anybody would, is anyone listening to this? If it gets out, am I going to be booted out? What's happening? What's the consequences? But anyway, I'm in a... Uh, in a writing group with a, with a, um, I'm just going to say her name, Mary Robinette Kowal. I don't know if you know her. She wrote a book called the lady astronaut. 
Oh, yeah. No, that name is familiar. I think I've seen my like my mother reads a lot. And I think I've seen that name on some stuff like a book that she's read. And um, your yeah, mom that... would be in the zone for her book. OK, this... yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the lady um... astronaut calculating stars is like written about like female astronauts in the 50s. You know, that whole thing. Yeah. Like, nobody cares about astronauts anymore. But at the time, <laughs> it was a huge thing. There's so much more to care about. But anyway, uh, so I'm in this critique group and uh, it's fabulous. So it's all fiction. It's all women of color. And uh, we have Mary Robin at Kowal to like tell us what we're doing wrong. So, <laughs> all right. She definitely, you know, she's got a very soft touch with that. Very good eye for what's good. So uh, I'm back trying to write fiction, which it turns out, is much harder to do when you're doing your day job. Maybe other people are good at this. I'm not so good. I just have one brain and it can focus on the law or it can focus on creativity. And when I'm writing fiction, like you need just all this time to come up with the character and the setting and the world building and, you know, what's going to happen. And whereas creative nonfiction is something has already happened. Everything is in place. You know what the weather is, you know what time it is, you know where it took place, you know who's involved, you know all the characters. You just have to put it together in a way that's interesting, right? Mm. That somebody wants to read all the way through. And uh, But with fiction, just like coming up with every element or fictionalizing every element, that takes way more, more time and intensity than I realized, uh, you know, also trying to work a day job, so... Yeah, it's all like from scratch, so to speak. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, did you do you like have any uh, authors you'd consider to be like you know your uh, inspirations besides the the Raymond Chandler stuff? Like I know sure. like uh, horror is. I when I saw that you wrote a horror story, I, I didn't right. know if I should expect like. Uh, you know, the fun type of horror or like, you know, the horrific type of horror, I think falls more into the like fun category, like right. using you some know, of those tropes and stuff. When I started out, I pictured myself as like a romance writer, you know, or whatever. And I went to a romance conference and, oh, man, I mean, I'd like to be one, I suppose, somewhere in my fantasy, but that's probably not going to happen. And then the first two stories that I wrote that were fiction that were picked up were horror stories. So uh, what I realize is I like that sort of, I like that Twilight Zone kind of horror. Mm -hmm. I like the Black Mirror style mm -hmm. of horror and uh, like Get Out, absolutely one of the, to me, one of the absolute best movies because it just, it just takes again, like all the sort of standard tropes and slightly turns them on an angle. And so mm -hmm. I like that kind of horror that's like an unsettled feeling more than, you know, blood and guts. So that's uh, that's what I prefer. So when it comes to writers, well, I mean, like in my academy, like I like, I love Toni Morrison. How can you not? I'm never going to be her. But it's fun to, to read that at the same time. Like at some point, it's just too depressing. And I want to read something, you know, maybe more happy and on the lighter side. So um, there's another, oh gosh, I can't think of his name. Oh, Brian Freeman. Uh, just like a, I describe maybe a standard writer, but he's like a really good job of like writing books that are, have a very satisfying ending and they're mysteries that kind of pulls you all the way through. I, uh, I haven't read a lot of any of Stephen King's fiction, but I did read his book um, 
called On Writing. That is a great uh, book. Yeah, I've read uh, that too. Isn't it? It's just a great, like just realistic book about writing. I thought that was fabulous. But uh, I, uh, you know, I've got loads and loads of books, but pretty much I think I'd say that Toni Morrison is my favorite writer. I read Jack Kerouac. I read it. I didn't love it. Uh, but it turns out it's one of the reasons I met my husband because he mm-hmm. never met another woman that had read a Kerouac book, like ever. And oh. he dated <laughs> tons of women. So that was his like, what? <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, no, I mean, and having a mutual interest like that is uh, very helpful, especially when it's something that is like sort of um, esoteric. Is that the word? I know. Yeah, it like, is. It's, it's, it's like. It's not our era. We're way too young to be reading a Kerouac book. I mean, there's so many other things happening right now. You know what sure. I mean? Yeah. Oh, well. I got to put Anne Rice in there. I can't, I can't say, I don't, I can't say like vampires and not mention Anne Rice sure. and some Octavia Butler. Like I read, I've read three of her books. I haven't read her vampire book. Like that's a, it's in the list, but I haven't read it yet. I didn't know she had any vampire. I, I read, uh, I've only read one of her books, uh, Parable of the Sower. And yeah, the Parable of the Talents. That, that book is so heart-wrenching and just so good like she that i read that for my uh a science fiction class in uh, oh, college nice. actually um yeah that she's an amazing writer i definitely want to like dive into her catalog more and uh let's see i had another vamp like a fiction writer i read a book which people some people love some people hate um Gun with Occasional Music by Jonathan Lethem. It's a it's a noir book, but it has a talking kangaroo. And so if you can't get past a talking kangaroo, you're not gonna like get into the book. But I was looking for that sort of I already read some Raymond Chandler's, you know, and so I wanted to find a, a newer updated noir book. And then uh there's a writer named J.R.R. Ward. She hmm. writes like she's got some fabulous ideas about like, like vampires and fallen angels. And I read several of her books and she's a good writer. She also used to be a lawyer. Uh, but yeah, uh, besides like turning those tropes on their heads, which I think you did uh, again, a fantastic job of doing, which I think like a lot of times that is like, uh, to as far as like having any kind of like social or outwardly like social or political message, like a piece of art, just sort of subverting expectations in some way. And like, you know, the whole show don't tell thing, um, I think can right. be effective in and of itself. Um, but did you have any like, I don't know, sort of messaging or something to comment on uh, beyond just like flipping those tropes in mind writing uh, till death? Oh, well, I, my, my thing is, okay. So like now that I've started to do more writing and once the story till death was published in slay, I got invited to join a Facebook group called uh, the state of black science fiction writing. Hmm. And so it's all these black science fiction writers. And then when you step out of that group, there's this whole like world of like, white sci-fi mainstream sci-fi like oh my god there's there's no black sci-fi writers blah 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 wrong oh my god (laughs) you know what i mean there's tons there's plenty of stuff a lot of it's fabulous really good worth reading but it's not being published by mainstream and it's not being pushed by the mainstream so it's all indie which doesn't mean it's not good i mean i've read several books i'm reading one right now uh the soul cages it's fabulous writing it's great story it's really compelling but the protagonists are black and so there's a lot of times where i think that <clears throat> what's happening is the tropes 
are created by white people. So I'm not so much turning tropes on their heads. I mean, I am like where the femme fatale is the man. Like that's clearly a trope. But where the protagonist just has agency and feelings and things that she needs to get done and has a life outside of, you know, the shape of her body. Mm -hmm. And so uh, so I've done a a couple other stories. Uh, I have one published called The Magical Negro. And that just turns that one as the trope of, you know, that like Uncle Remus, black guy. He's not a real person. Do you know what I mean? He's just like, he's just a caricature. Mm. And so, uh, and then I have some uh, erotic writing that I've done under a pen name, which shall remain nameless. Um, (laughs) With sort of the same idea of like, only hot people have sex. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, that's not the case, or there wouldn't be that many people on the planet. You know what I mean? And so, so I kind of just have fun with like taking what I'm going to say is pretty much just reality, except that we get into our way of thinking and it's, we get into our fantastic way of thinking. And when you sort of put things that are closer to reality on the page, it seems fantastical and it seems like it's breaking tropes, but really it's just reality. And then a great example is like your whole story about being a teacher, being a college professor, right? Like in one world, like the college professor is the exalted person with the tweed and the patches on his elbows. Mm-hmm. And they're always men and they're always smart and they're always, you know, smoking a pipe and no more than you. Well, you know, I had a lot of terrible college professors. I'm just going to say it. You know what I mean? Sure. <laughs> they weren't that yeah. good. They weren't that articulate. They weren't <laughs> that smart. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, And then oh, I yeah. had some that were really fabulous at what they did, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, and so, sorry, yeah, you know, I was going to say, you know, the um, uh, with lawyers too. That's another yeah. like profession. That's like, I mean, I I think <laughs> to get through tropes. law school and pass the bar, you you do need to be like intelligent in many certain ways. But also, like, I think the fact that most like lawmakers and politicians are lawyers is like evidence that you can also be like completely fucking insane <laughs> and be a lawyer. Oh, there's that. And then there's the whole like, let's make it so hard to understand and comprehend that even we don't know what we meant. Right. Like we are lawyers and we wrote it. But we have to hire other lawyers to explain what we meant because we don't know. You know what I mean? It's like, come on. Why can't yeah. you just say what you mean? Why does it have to be, you know, buried all this stuff? Yeah. You know, it's I just philosophy is good preparation for, um, you know, that sort of like the intentionally obscure, seemingly intentionally sort of uh, <laughs> or opaque writing. That's like just really hard to uh, penetrate sometimes. Oh, my God. For real. Just not just like widely open to and inter- wildly open to interpretation. And also, like, just think how language changes, like how we use it so much. I mean. It's not that people didn't speak. Obviously, everybody had language or we couldn't communicate. Those that wrote were obviously the most educated or had all the education. Mm-hmm. And now we're, I mean, I suppose it was the, true at the time, but now we can actually see it recorded. People that speak in all different kinds of ways mm-hmm. use the language and it's constantly evolving to the point that how can you interpret what's being said today even 10 days from now, like what my son says to me at 13, I don't, what do you mean? 
He didn't feel the vibe. My son literally said to me the other day, he's listening to a song and he's like, oh, that's great. He didn't chill the vibe. What? Well, he means that the guy didn't uh, cut the beat. He like kept the beat going all the way through the next several bars. He didn't drop it. Okay, I see. Yeah, he didn't drop the beat, I guess. is (laughs) So So um, now read me some philosophy from Plato and pretend that you understand what he meant. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. I mean, like so much has uh, uh, has changed, Um, you know, I think like especially like in uh, like English majors have this tendency to pretend. And I think people in general, especially like educated people have this uh, tendency to like pretend that like they understand Shakespeare. It's like nobody really understands Shakespeare at the first pass. Like they say, or like claim that they do even like the English majors and English teachers and stuff, you have to study it because it is, you know, it's, it's still modern English, but it is like, very Literally, different. I'm going to just just put me down as just give me a dunce cap and put me in a, in a just give me a dunce cap and put me in a corner. When <laughs> I was going to get married, I wanted a Shakespeare poem to be read, you mm-hmm. know, at this. And so I bought a book of Shakespeare. Oh, my God. Could it read? And it didn't know what it meant. And then when I read what it meant, it didn't read. It didn't mean what it said. <laughs> so I wound up with. The only poem I already knew before I bought the book, Let Me Not to the Marriage of True Minds Admit Impediments, Love mm. is Not Love. That's, the, that's already out there. I knew that from high school. I, yeah. I couldn't be, I couldn't read any. I couldn't believe it. I was like, who is, what? Who's reading this? I mean, yeah, you have to like study it. And like, yes. you know, there's all kinds of words that like, they just have different meanings now. 500 years have gone by and language is constantly changing and evolving. And, you know, it's just, I, we, we should be more honest with ourselves about uh, how well we understand Shakespeare. And, you know, like, <laughs> I think uh, as a, you know, an English teacher, I, I've, you know, you have to teach Shakespeare at some point or another. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm always been very in favor of uh, students being able to use like supplementary, you know, Cliff's notes and spark notes and stuff to understand that stuff better, because it's like, you know, your, your brain is, is still doing the work. I think that, you know, there's these uh, attitudes about like, you know, not be not being able to, or being allowed to um, use things to like you know supplement your understanding is just bullshit and it's like that's not the way that the real world works like you don't understand things in a vacuum like that and you know oh it's so true and i remember thinking when i was in college i mean there was always all this talk that you know if you'd read the iliad and the odyssey you know you were you know just genius if you'd read plato's republic well it's like i have you know what no one else has Nobody cares. It hardly matters. And go ahead and cancel me because I'm nobody. You know what I mean? Like, put this out there. (laughs) Ignorant black woman says Plato's Republic hasn't been read by other people. Well, no one's read it. No one has. And I haven't read the Iliad and the Odyssey, and I'm not going to pretend I have. You know, and so what does that get me? You know, but it is. It's still like this whole thing. Like, you know, that's what you teach. And oh, my God, there's some other humongous book. I can't. Oh, I almost want to say I almost said it. It's like it's almost like Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey. There's another huge book that everybody pretends to have read, but no one has. Like uh, I, I'm, I think what Ulysses. Yeah, that's one that comes that's to mind. It. Yeah, 
it's that's it's got it. a similar sounding title to those. So yeah, that um that's one Who's that I mean I've that? I've Except tried. Yeah, no, it's uh I I can't I can't get through it. Um and I mean I don't know. There's there's a lot of stuff like that. One of my favorite uh, writing teachers were, you know, an English professor I had in college who I took several classes with. He was like a um, like founding father's scholar, basically, like his, his specialty was like American literature from, you know, colonial through like 1800s. And so I wound up reading a lot of stuff from those eras and uh-huh. you know, Mark Twain and stuff like that. And um he uh one one of the things he would say about like a classic a classic is just like a book that everybody says they love but nobody's actually read herman melville moby dick (laughs) Uh, that is actually i have read moby dick and i love moby dick but i was just telling my girlfriend this yesterday that with that same professor i read it in you know because that's from that era 1800s american literature uh with that professor i read uh or we were supposed to read moby dick and i was talking about i remember admitting to him that i had only gotten like 100 pages into moby dick when i wrote my essay about it and Uh he, he was like yeah, that's fine. I mean, you know, you seem to have really like done well with those hundred pages. And he's like, eh, you'll finish it eventually. And him kind of having that attitude about it made me want to finish it. And uh, I actually love Moby Dick. It's one of the rare books from that era that is like, uh-huh. besides Mark Twain, I love like pretty much everything Mark Twain has touched is like his writing is just like so ahead of his its time but um yeah i think uh, moby dick is a uh, if you can kind of get it's it's a niche thing though it's like there's some stuff that's very interesting to me in that book but like i can't get through jane austen you know one of my favorites uh, so you like jane austen that's you know it's, oh my god i there was so i mean when i, when I was in college the um you know i was i took english for two years right so mm-hmm. the um the first thing I did when I landed at the University of Michigan, I took a just a writing course and as a male writer, obviously. And I read um, Jane Austen. And then who wrote Wuthering Heights? Uh, Emily Bronte. It's a Bronte, yeah. right? Emily. Mm. Love Wuthering Heights. Love it. I think it's a perfect book in every way. Right. So you read Moby Dick and I read Wuthering Heights. So <laughs> I go to shouldn't be a surprise. So I go to the first day of of college, you know, English two or whatever at University of Michigan. And the professor is like, well, you know, women can't be in women can't be canon because women don't go to war. Therefore, we're not reading any books by the Bronte sisters or uh, who wrote a rumor one's own. Who wrote uh, that? Oh, um, Virginia uh, Woolf. Kim, yes. Yeah. There's not going to be any Virginia Woolf or Jane Austen, Jane Eyre or Emily Bronte in this class. This is going to be books about war because you know what's real? War. I was like, wow, <laughs> white ladies. There's like white women in my class. I'm like, hello, ladies. <laughs> He's talking about you. He's yeah. not talking about me. <laughs> anyway, I, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, yeah. what can I say? Toni Morrison was obsessed with Moby Dick. I sat through one of her lectures back when she was alive, when I was at University of Michigan, which I'll just say everybody passed through there. That was one of the best things about going there. And she spent the entire hour lecture talking about Herman Melville's Moby Dick. It's I I recommend giving it a shot. At least you know the first. Oh, I, pages I've tried are great. to read it. I, I just haven't been able to finish it. <laughs> it's yeah. It's uh. It's definitely got some long meandering parts. Um, I'm <laughs> gonna. Can I? I want to grab a book actually to recommend to you. And okay, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm down. 
get some uh, more water here and then wrap up. Um, so just one second. I'll be right back. Okay. okay. Is it Moby Dick? Just kidding. Am, it is not Moby Dick. It is um, not Emily Bronte, but Charlotte Bronte. This book, Valette. I guess it's probably. Oh, I've never read it. Um, you know, as as luck would have it, this is one that I've never um, read. Wuthering Heights, and I think this is the only Bronte uh, of the Bronte sisters. The only one I've read. Uh-huh. Um, but this is like a really cool book. It's a ghost story. Uh, but it's like an older kind of ghost story that it's kind of a, it's like a romance coming of age boarding school with some ghost stuff tossed in there. Um, it's very cool. Very, very good book. I highly recommend it. It's, uh, I'll, I'll send you a a DM with the, I'll throw it on my list and I, I have mine for you here just for the, so my magical Negro. Oh, appears in alphabet of horror, A to Z. I read Cape Publishing. It's in G is for genies because Magical Negro is a genie. And uh, they're they're pretty fun. They're pretty cool. They've got all these A to Z of horror. I'm trying to write another, pick another letter and write another horror story from them. You know, I get a chance. And then Till Death is in Slay. Ooh. Stories of the Vampire Noir. And I've read all of Slay. It's fabulous. Again, there's that whole, where are the black sci-fi writers? <laughs> right here. Let me tell you, some really great writing going on. So that's that. I mean, there's so many books to read. I've got a stack of books, as I said, on my, beside my bed. I just, what am I going to read next? I don't know. Mm. Audible is great because then sometimes there's a few books you can like fly through. Mm -hmm. I I listened to A Long Way to a Small Angry Planet. It's a sci-fi. Can't remember the author's name at all. She's self-published. It is a fabulous book. And then they picked her up. You know, and now all of her subsequent books are, you know, published by the mainstream. But it's that's I love that book. I, uh, you know, I have started writing a novel like maybe 15 times in my life. And, you know, same story or different story. Ditched it. Um, no, different story every time. Um, uh, except this last time, I actually got like further than I've ever gotten, and I think I'm going to go back to this story. But before I started doing the podcast and the YouTube videos and stuff, I was working on that, and that was like my creative thing that I was doing. And uh, so I haven't gone back to it since. Um, but it's kind of a, it's sort of a like satirical book that draws upon my experience as a musician. Um, and also was sort of trying to be like some satire, like commentary on how absurd our, uh, culture was getting with like Trumpism and stuff. And <laughs> it's I, still there. I know. It hasn't gone away. I, I sort of actually like set it aside. Cause I was like, there's so much shit is happening every day that like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Like I would write some like crazy thing happening. That's like, you know, I'm, it's supposed to be like funny because it's so absurd. And then like something like even crazier would ha- actually happen like a few days later. And I mean, even like down to that, uh, the January 6th, the Capitol riot, like, Oh my God, I had something very similar happening, except it involved guns and stuff in that book that was like same type of you know these like yahoos coming in like you know just wreaking havoc in that way but um so they wearing viking horns like that's probably really (laughs) the only difference between the satire and the actual thing that happened yeah maybe Uh, the thing that just blows my mind 
And I know people have said this before, but, you know, I'm a woman in her 50s. And I remember in law school when they're like, Roe v. Wade, voting rights, Ford versus, you know, Brown versus the Board of Education, Plessy versus Ferguson, that, 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 this is law. This is how we, what? Why are we still freaking fighting over that bullshit? Decades late, like really just literally circles and circles. We could do a million other things by this point in our lives. You know what I mean? Like still oh. fighting over that, still giving that air. There's so many other things that we could be doing, you know, just talking about or just anything. There's sci-fi and fantasy. <laughs> sure. I mean, that's what it, it really like. I was actually had a big, long uh, conversation with my dad today, which uh, we get my he's like a fairly conservative guy um, in terms of just being really afraid of socialism, basically. Uh, and so I'll but, you know. Uh, unlike a lot of people I know who have like parents who have political disagreements with them, he and I will like, we can really like go deep with it and really like actually have like long drawn out like disagreements and arguments. And it rarely gets like angry, kind of heated. Um, and talking about like, you know, big concepts like you right. know, capitalism versus socialism versus communism. And, you know, I, um, but uh, wait, why did I bring him up? I, I, I was talking to him on the phone uh, earlier today and I just like slipped my mind what what I was going to say about him. But we were talking about like just going around and around the circles of the same concepts, same I, ideas and not advancing. That's right. Yeah. No. So like I, I have been, you know, saying this to him, but like just this like, you know, uh, I am a leftist like I I'm against capitalism like in theory and you know if you want my like actual beliefs you know it's like I think that we should be working toward the abolition of capitalism and the abolition of like the concept of money and all these things that like you have to really use your imagination to think about how that would work. And in a lot of ways, we don't know how those things would work, but I'm not saying that like, you know, tomorrow we should completely change everything about society. I'm saying that like, we should be, have an eye toward like a thousand years from now. What do we want our society to look like? Right. And oh, we can't do that. We're still talking about whether or not a woman can have an abortion. You know, exactly. Wow, you know what I mean? It's just like, why are we giving that oxygen? There's so many more, but then we could be talking about how, uh, I don't know how there could be like more sustainable way to have food. I didn't realize that you were an English major. That's fabulous. I thought the view more was a musician, but I just want to say, here's what I was going to say. So to tie it back. So if you write a novel, I remember before I wrote one, I had this, you know, all this like movie fantasy of the writer that completes the book. It's all neat and tight and you've got all the pages. And then, you know, of course you have a cigarette because you finished. Right. And so <laughs> then the editing begins. And then that's a whole nother albatross around your neck just to let you know that once you finish your book and you've done it, now you have to go back and change it. <laughs> yeah, you have to go back and basically just do it again, right? And you have to face the firing squad of the beta readers. Oof. Uh, <laughs> which that that would be really uh tough for me. I know like my uh my story uh, I was basing characters on my friends, so like if I wrote something I thought was like particularly funny, I would like that was a line that was like based on on one of my friends i would like send that to them but the story as a whole this most recent one i have not actually let anybody look at it and uh, i mean it's something that i 
I'm probably going to be working on for, for years and, you know, it'll just kind of be this like project I keep coming back to. Um, but you know, with you, like the fact that you have, um, published some short stories and you already have a, a, a novel, like completely written, I mean, that's like having something like that ready as you like go through and like, you know, are sort of getting your shorter stuff out there. Um, eventually, you know, maybe somebody will come along and be like, hey, you got you got an idea for a book and say, well, I don't have an idea for a book. I have a whole <laughs> book already. I have a whole book that I you know need to go back over and, and rewrite. So my whole fantasy about like rewriting the romance novel, should I ever, you know, get further along the line or somebody wants to like really publish me mm. is just back in the days, remember we could go places and take vacations oh, It's yeah. to just like sit Easily. on a beach or sit by a pool and edit my novel. That's my, <sighs> you know, find all the, air. well, it's at the beta readers right now. So <laughs> it took me forever to get the guts to send it to beta readers. Um, well, you know, hopefully I will, uh, at, at some point have my stuff ready for that at, you know, that phase, but, um, <laughs> You know, uh, so I guess like I wanted to uh, ask you about, well, Left Brain Mom is your Twitter yes. name. And I don't know if we actually said that yet, but, you know, listeners, no, I don't think you have. we've got, you know, it's this is still a fairly small show, but there's a couple hundred like regular listeners that, you know, regularly download like pretty much every episode. Um, and uh, I don't know if they listen to it or if they just like play it just to be nice to me, maybe. But um <laughs> They, uh, but so like, you know, people out there listening can of course follow you on Twitter at, is it just at left brain mom? You're uh, left brain mom one. Okay. Numeral one. Numeral one. Okay. And I have an at left brain mom Facebook page where I put up like whatever I'm working on with writing. And, uh, there was the black women are scary podcast that did my story till death, but you know, I've got some works in progress. And you know how that goes, right? You got to finish it. Then it's got to be beta read and then it's got to be published. Um, so that's what I, but you can find me at left brain mom one on Twitter at left brain mom on uh, Facebook. And do you have like uh, any other places where you like maybe publish your stuff or do any blogging or anything like that? I, I don't blog. I kind of feel like I should, but I really, hmm? I mean, anything that I say, right. It's just going to be held against me. So I take the fifth and you don't know, blog. right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I take the fifth. I don't blog. Uh, but uh, I do have a couple of works in progress that, you know, I need to round out. I've got some stuff that I wrote early on that I need to come back and look at with fresh eyes. Mm -hmm. But uh, I publish under my name, Lynette S. Hogue. And um, that's, uh, that's where you can find me, you know, the next time I get my stuff out there and get it accepted. Okay, excellent. I mean, I highly recommend everybody. Side question: I know you. Um, what what is the difference between left and right brain? Left brain is supposed to be analytical, and right brain is creative. Okay. I like it. so. I pick left brain mom because my son is super creative. He draws, and he's good at music, and you know all that kind of stuff. And I could never draw. Ugh. <laughs> You know, I can sing a little bit, but can anybody? And I could always I could play the piano, but I can never get that good. <laughs> but uh, so he's like, I have a right-brained son who has a left-brained mom. So there's that whole, like, just kind of, it's not really conflict, but uh, I describe it as he sees the vision. And sometimes I just see, you know, lines. Well, I mean, 
obviously you have that creative impulse though with uh, with the fiction that you've written and uh you know i think you've done a wonderful wonderful job with it and highly recommend that um to the and you know it's it's great that a, a voice actor actually like you know t- gave it a proper reading on that podcast black women are scary everybody listening it makes it another it story it makes it almost another story to hear all the sounds like the barking dogs that's my favorite oh, yeah. part yeah the sound effects and just like the soundscape they did a really good job with that um and uh yeah highly recommend that story and obviously like you know you um still sort of nascent in your publishing career I right? am. Um, you're catching me before i become I don't know who am I going to be. Yeah. Huge. The the next um, something or other. You know, I had never really read. N.K. Jemison. You know, isn't that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. yeah, So um, is uh, so anything else you'd like to maybe like recommend to people or anything before we sign off? Well, if you want to read some uh, science fiction by black science fiction writers mm. uh i represent and, uh, well not all the writers are black just never are right there's always somebody white or two in the mix right but the protagonists are primarily black i represent i um i highly recommend the mocha memoirs press just because they have lots of different varieties of science fiction stories and they have a lot of um stories and anthologies uh, written by women and underrepresented groups so if you just want some good writing and you've read enough books by Stephen King <laughs> and you want to mix it up and you like something like get out you like that concept of you know from Jordan Peele check out Mocha Memoirs Press awesome yeah and you know just stuff that is like from underrepresented uh demographics and groups and people and like just you know stuff that like has something to say that speaks to an experience that is different from i know like jordan peele i saw something recently about like uh how he said um uh, you know, he said, like, I don't see myself casting a white male lead in any of my films. And, you know, of course, some ding dong said, like, oh, can you imagine if like a white person said I'm, I don't see myself casting any black leads in my movies? It's like <laughs> they don't say it. They they don't do it. Like, right. It's not it doesn't have to be said. It's acted. <laughs> it's 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 the default. And it's like also, it's the default. It would be, yes, that would be pretty fucked up if a white person said, I'm not going to cast black people. But, you know, that's why it's two different scenarios. It's like, yeah, in our current timeline, though, it would be bad if those roles were reversed. But, you know, if the roles were actually reversed and it was, you know, like white people were a historically and, you know, currently (laughs) oppressed group, then it would be fucked up for a black person to say, I'm not going to cast a white person but that's not the reality we live in so you know what what the well, hell are that, you even talking also, about also he doesn't need to tell that story like that's not the story jordan peele wants to tell and yeah. that story has been told a million times by millions of people you know what i mean like so the whole his point obviously is i'm telling a different story and i'm telling it from my perspective which if he said that i don't think it would have you know made it to the cancel culture press but <laughs> you know at the same time if this is the thing that cracks me up so much about race is race doesn't matter. What's your race? Like every time I fill out a form, right? We're yeah. here to not see color. Oh, you're getting a mortgage? What's your race? Oh, you're getting a flu shot? What's your race? Oh, you're going to the doctor? What's your race? I'm taking a survey. What's your race? You know what I'm saying? Like it doesn't matter, except it's all that matters. <laughs> 
Yeah. And yeah, I think more representation and more like just being able to talk openly about it and, you know, in respectful ways is uh, yeah. something that we need. And um, yeah, and, and I think it's fantastic. And especially, I mean, there's all kinds of like underrepresented groups, um, but, you know. Oh, wait, we have a new, this is how you know you're an underrepresented group. Every five years, your moniker changes. So okay. now I'm a BIPOC. And let me just tell you, I read that 30 times before I figured out what that meant. Uh, that I got to say, I, I've seen and heard people say that, but I haven't looked into what, why, why is it? Black, BIPOC? Indigenous and people of color. Like they just keep coming up with new ways to combine us. Uh huh. <laughs> and somebody came up with BIPOC. It wasn't me. And I got to say, like I said, I read that. I don't know how many times before. I, oh, that's me. I didn't realize. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I guess uh, yeah, different ways of, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to call anybody, whatever, whatever it is they, they want to be called, I guess. Um, exactly. But I'm just saying it's for future reference. Mm -hmm. We have been, uh, what is that when something is a, not a monogram, not when I'm thinking of it, like you make a shorthand with the letters. Um. I mean, like uh, abbreviations, the word that comes yes, to mind. But, but, the, but the abbreviations are, uh, anyway, our new easy to re remember abbreviation is BIPOC. So you don't have okay. to say other underrepresented people that, that that's too many words. You can just say BIPOC. Okay. <laughs> Black, indigenous Excellent. people of color. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So I that mean, one's on me. That's free from me to you. Well, thank you very much for that. And, um, you know, I think that is like, I, I'm not just saying this because I'm speaking with you, like, you know, black women are underrepresented in a lot of like genres and, um, you know, probably every genre to some degree or another. Um, and, uh, it is, really awesome to see just like in the past few years there's just been so much like you know more attention paid to like just trying to like reach out to every demographic and we still have yeah. such a long way to go but you know more representation is going to make for more interesting and more meaningful and more like you know just art that says a wider range of things because it comes from a wider range of different experiences and i don't see how anybody could be against that it's absolutely true. And the whole thing is, you know, I've always been here. Well, I spent, mm -hmm. there's always been, there was like, well, there's no black horse. Well, I'm one. And, <laughs> and I, I must know a hundred. You know what I mean? And so there's just like, anytime someone says, you know, there's no black people in sci-fi, basically just turn the camera a little bit to your right. And guess what? There's a room full. You know what I mean? And it's just, sure. <laughs> that's basically, it's just your camera's not pointing at it. That's all I have to say. Just turn the camera. There we um, are. Well, Lynette, thank you so much for uh, joining me this afternoon. And thanks for having me. Awesome. I appreciate that. Um, and uh, yeah, so I will, this will be going up in a couple of weeks, maybe two, three. I was getting back on the weekly release schedule, but now I think I might start trying <laughs> to bank episodes. So I don't know if um, I'll be, I might start, go back to two, every two weeks, but I don't know. We'll see what happens. Well, but uh, thanks again, Lynette, and uh, have you. a wonderful day. And I'll let you know when this is up. You too. I appreciate it. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Bye.
Alrighty, folks, that's going to have to do it for this week's unbelievable edition of Breadsheet. Again, follow Ms. Hogue on Twitter at, at, uh, at LeftBrainMom, numeral one. Find her story till death linked in audio and text format in the description of this episode. Follow me at Haas underscore Bossman on Twitter, Instagram, Twitch, and Patreon. And please drop a dime or 20 or 200 at uh, Simone, Simone Utech's GoFundMe page. That's uh, Simone's Multiple Myeloma Fund, uh, also linked in the description. Uh, Alrighty, bye folks. Come back next week. I am. I've got that episode recorded, and it's going to be a beautiful thing. Uh, that's Matt Bender's fire episode. We had an awesome talk about like punk rock and all kinds of cool stuff, and so get stoked for that. And uh, I am going to be trying to release that somewhat soon. Uh, as soon as I get this next uh, YouTube video I'm working on out and published, I will uh, get that ready and... Hopefully, maybe we can get back to a regular release schedule here. All right. I love you guys. Please don't forget to flood the soul of every sentient being you encounter with healing light. Oh, you can uh, download this song at, I'm just going to say, I'm going to pick a K-Max song. So you can go to the K-Max, the K-M-A-C-K-S dot bandcamp dot com and download the song and all that stuff. Of course, you can find at Haas.fun. Okay. Flood soul of sentient beings with uh, healing light. All right. Love you. Bye. As I mentioned in the intro. This is a lie. The song we're riding out on is actually Perpetual Moments and is by the talented musical artist Jake Hicks. You can find that song and much more of his music on Spotify and also go to his Instagram. His band is Jake Hicks and The Journeyman and they are really great. Okay, love you. Again, follow Jake Hicks and The Journeyman on Instagram and find them on Spotify. Mwah. Oh
Why are you... Oh, never mind. Just follow us over to the mail. 